0: This Water News with Steve Baker is supported by Clearwater and Filtration on Rough and Ready Highway, Grass Valley. Well, it's time for Water News with Steve Baker. And Steve, you've been uh, been gone for a couple of weeks and nice to have you back.
1: Oh, well, yeah. It's a little different back in Kentucky and Ohio as compared to California. Well, we're going to talk about California today. Anyway, our recent
0: temperatures have been very nice and, yeah. and nice, comfortable warming coming up. And, but the word is out that something weird is up with the La Nina conditions in mm-hmm. our weather. Oh, what's yeah. up?
1: Well, what's up is La Nina is forecasted. Uh, it was forecasted last month and it's setting a record. It's the third one in a row. Highly unusual that that happens. Uh, usually, La Niñas happen about 28 percent of the time, and that was measured between 1950 and 1999. But now you take the last 25 years and you look at that information, and what you find is La Niñas around half the time, 50 percent. So it's happening much more quickly. And what's really strange is our best computer climate change models—they don't predict it. Everybody's wondering why is this happening right now. So usually, when La Niña conditions kick in, the Pacific surface waters of the ocean are cooler near California, and they're warmer out towards towards um, Asia. And then the polar what, what results is the polar jet stream, which that blows west to, to east. It starts to move further north. Imagine a, a hose, you know, that blows from Hawaii to the California. With that hose during a La Niña. Is up further north, and now it's blowing uh, all that weather to Washington and Canada and Alaska, and we're getting we're high and dry and hot. So uh, that that's the you know that's the condition we're dealing with. The economic ag hit, the agricultural hit during a La Niña event. Man, it's it's at least or actually almost twice as great, if not three times as great as compared to an El Niño conditions. so it's not good for our food supply when it's like this.
0: Well, okay, well, it's hitting us in California and what 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 are we going to do about it? What is California's plan for this?
1: Well, I mean there's lots of things, but one thing in particular, I don't know if people realize this, but uh, we are blessed here in Northern California. I think uh, it seems to me that we're not going to be hit that hard on this, uh, this drought as compared to the southern part of our state. Southern California uh, recently, <laughs> they nixed the desal plan for Orange County, and instead what they're doing is slapping on some really tight water restrictions down there to be quite careful because they do not have enough water down there. There are three things that really went into this uh, nixing of the desal plant, the new desal plant. One is, of course, there's a water demand. And somehow, that has to be satisfied. People need water every day, but also there 's environmental and habitat justice issues to be worked out and that 's where I think it went a little sideways because you know there is a downside to desal, uh production also of water and then uh, availability of of power we we know because of the ukrainian Russian war that uh, we 're all connected globally, and that means that our our fuel our energy is also uh, going to change as as those political things change. So, desal lost out. Uh, so, what we're looking at now in California is the banning uh, of ornamental lawns at businesses and commercial properties. And then governments, they're saying, hey, reduce that water by 20%. So, in a statewide basis, Governor Newsom put out a press release saying that all Californians need to step it up and use less water.
0: Well, well we don't have time for it today, but... Taking into account the situation with the water coming from the Rocky Mountains <laughs> through the. That's a biggie. That yeah. system is not healthy as well.
1: No, that's, that's a much more extended drought. Yeah. But, that whole basin is hurting.
0: We'll talk about that at another time. Okay. Um, it's really hard to escape the impacts of having less water in our environments. Um, is that
1: correct? Oh, I mean, that's really true. In fact, all those hardy. Pacific Crest Trail backpackers, they know. That's a totally different perspective, but they can see changes happening. Uh, the the Pacific Crest Trail, that's 2,600 miles long. And what they're seeing is less snow, higher temperatures. They're seeing wildfires that they have to anticipate. We never had to anticipate things like that before. And then those smoky days, imagine what that's like, walking through, hiking through all that smoke high up in the forest. Uh, it's, 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 it's a problem and, and a developing problem, and springs and creeks may not be flowing as they once did. One backpacker, his name's Brad Martson, he's a climate physics professor at Brown University. He's carrying as a standard when he goes on the Pacific Crest Trail N95 masks because of all those smoky days. It's just not healthy to be uh, to breathing that stuff. So as time progresses, I think we're going to have to be way more careful. There will be risk of, of heat stroke because the temperature will become higher. Maybe, maybe right now it's marginally okay, but as, as we enter into those more consistent triple-digit summer temperatures, it's going to be a problem. So, you know, you, you ask yourself, so, hey, if I'm traveling 2,600 miles, uh, am I going to have water each day? Would I be able to stop and fill up my containers of water?
0: Well, there must be some interesting stories about uh, how we're dealing with this and how we're combating it. Do, do you have any? For us?
1: Well, there is one. Uh, there's a fellow named Luke Gardner. He's a scientist down there at Moss Landing uh, Marine Lab. Now, he studies uh, native seaweed. And more recently, uh, actually it was 2014, he took over his father-in-law's ranch, okay, with his wife. And that meant that he has 100 head of cattle. And so he he is doing now is he's merging the aquacultural scientific expertise that he has with those cows and then with climate change. He's putting it all together. What he's trying to do is this. He's trying to help the cows not burp quite so much methane, <laughs> Okay, that's his mission. It's kind of a gut biome project. sounds sounds like that to me. A single cow will burp up to two hundred pounds of methane in a year. Okay, that's that's surprising. I didn't realize that because of all the stomachs that they have and the way it works. And when you think about methane versus CO two, methane's a lot more potent than as a greenhouse gas than carbon dioxide. It's eighty times more more warming impact as compared to CO two. So. Um, When you take, let's see, 1.2 million dairy cows just in California, then let's add another million of that, okay, because those are the beef cattle. That's 2.4 million times 200 pounds per year of methane. That's a lot of gas. That's a lot of methane, a lot of greenhouse gas. And that actually can help significantly uh, in the, within that ag industry contribute to reducing or, or meeting Newsom's goals of having, uh, you know, 40% reductions of these times of emissions by 2030. So I hope he does it and look, look for that seaweed that could be grown more locally and, and uh, make the, all those cows a whole lot happier.
0: Well, who would have known, (laughs) Thank you so much. Um, Look forward to speaking with you in a couple weeks. You bet. Managing groundwater is Steve Baker's career and passion, and that has led him into working on all water sources and supplies. This has been another conversation with KVMR's water guy, Steve Baker. You can email him with your questions at water at operationunite.co. I'm Paul Emery for KVMR.